You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. All right, good evening. Good evening, guys. If you just could invite you back to your seats. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh. Privileged to be part of the team here and excited to bring God's word this evening. If you are just visiting tonight or just joining us, um, we're in a series in our evenings called End Times Church. And we've been going through, at the start of the book of Revelation, Jesus writes seven letters to seven different churches. And we've been just journeying through these seven letters. And each of them, he gives a commendation. Um, in, in most of them, I should say, he gives a commendation. Uh, something that he loves about the church. Something that he wants to say well done for. And he also gives in each of them a criticism. Something that he, an issue maybe that he has with the churches. Now last week, we spent some time with the church in Pergamum. A whole load of issues, uh, a whole load of things that Jesus loved about the church in Pergamum. Um, this church lived in a horrific situation. There was persecution, there was death, there was martyrdom. Twice Jesus says that he knows that the, the church is living in the home of Satan. And yet this church stood firm. But Jesus took issue with the fact that actually too much of the culture around the church was bleeding into the church. And the two main issues that Jesus had with that church was that they had adopted uh, the worship of idols and sexual immorality. And these two things, again, mark the church that we are reading about today. Now, before we jump into the text that we're going to read today, I, I want to just remind us of a couple of things. Um, Last week we spoke about the idea that as we come to a passage in the Bible that we maybe find tricky or confusing or difficult or clashes with our cultural persuasions, uh, we don't want to be the kind of Christians or people that would sweep it under the carpet, right? We, we don't want to be the kind of people that ignore it or even cut it out of the Bible kind of completely. We want to be the kind of people who humbly come to God's word and we just lay aside our preconceived notions, our rights and entitlements, our cultural narratives, and just invite the risen Jesus Christ to speak to us and to lead us to truth. The second thing that I think is really important to say when we read some of these letters is that Jesus is writing letters to churches. He's writing letters to Christians, to people who profess to love him, he's not writing letters actually to our non-Christian mates. He's not writing letters to our neighbours, not to our friends. Not, he's actually writing letters to those who deeply desire to follow him. And as we read these letters, we see sometimes that Jesus' language or tone seems confrontative. And I would argue that when you love someone, you're passionate about them. And Jesus loves the church. These letters are written to the bride of Christ, to the one he's coming back for, the one he's committed to making holy, like him. I love this verse in Ephesians 5. If you want a vision for what God is doing in the church, it's this, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? To make her holy and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Guys, this is what God is doing on the earth. 
This is the heart behind these letters. He's making the church a holy church, a radiant church, a beautiful church, holy and blameless. And so as we read these letters, we see Jesus in, almost in real time calling the church out of our old ways of living into a new life into a new way, into a new community, into a new family. And so naturally, there's a whole bunch of things that we used to do before we were Christians that Jesus says, hey, you can't do that stuff any longer. Can anyone relate to that? Any Christian in the room that used to live a certain way and then you met Jesus and, and you realize actually the old way of life is not befitting for sons and daughters, royalty, those that are clothed in Christ. I have loads of these things in my life. The language I used to speak with, what I used to watch and listen to, what I used to spend my money on, uh, what I used to put into my body, what I used to do with my body, my attitude, all of which over a long period of time, Jesus has been dealing with and speaking into. He says, church, there is a new way to live. So with those two things in mind, let's jump into the text for tonight. We are in uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, and it says this. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, someone's turn to your neighbor and say Thyatira. I've never heard that word said out loud before, so I'm just guessing, but um, I think that's how it's said. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are doing now more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely until they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying, if you're new to church, tonight we're talking about uh, idol worship, Satan, and sexual immorality. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's in the book though, so we talk about it. Let me pray before we jump into the text. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is a light and it is truth. And we come humbly and just invite you to speak to us tonight. God, open our hearts. I pray for revelation. I pray for an awakening. I pray for transformation in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. So a few things to start with this evening. And um, this is a letter written to a church in Thyatira. It is the longest, you might have noticed, of all the seven letters. Now, it's written to a city which is pretty small, pretty insignificant, and pretty irrelevant, if I'm honest, in the first century. It's a city that was known only for its trade guilds. So bakers, potters, 
dyers, tanners, leather workers. It was, by all accounts, a working-class city. It had no extraordinary achievements, no real success, no, not a whole lot of value of note. And yet, I want us to notice that Jesus still writes a letter to the church here, and it's the longest letter. Strikes me how God views success in different terms to us. Scholars think that this church in Thyatira, in an ordinary place, would have been a pretty small church. And yet Jesus is still deeply committed to the health of this church. And so think about how God views success. It's not about size. It's not really about influence. It's not about levels of excellence or the giftings of leaders. How many of you know that man looks at outside, but God looks at the heart? This city, this church would have been overlooked by everyone, and yet Jesus writes his longest letter to this forgotten, ordinary place and calls it to greatness. I wonder if some of us here tonight view ourselves as insignificant, average, unseen, forgotten. For many years, the city of Hull has been called that, has been called unseen and irrelevant, ignored and insulted, and yet God has great things for us. He hasn't forgotten us. And I was praying this week, my sense was the places that have been forgotten are going to have a special visitation of his presence. Second thing to say is, is notice how Jesus describes himself in each of the letters. Jesus uses some, some language to describe who he is. And this is what it says. Jesus says, I am the son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished Bronze. This title, the Son of God, is actually the only time it's used in the book of Revelation. And in these words, Jesus is reminding the church who he is, that he's not ordinary, that he's not just a, a good human, he's not just a prophet or a teacher or a good man, he is the God-man. Fully God, fully man, God the Son, the majestic, risen, conquering King, the fullness of God in human form. His eyes are blazing fire. This speaks of sovereignty, an all-seeing, all-knowing vision and a commitment to purifying His church. His vision is on us, never to condemn us, but always to heal us and to call us to more. His feet are burnished bronze. This speaks of a relentless pursuit a chasing down of his bride to purify the church, but also a chasing down of evil in the world. Jesus is committed to justice and making things right and he's coming and we need to remember that Jesus is coming. He's still coming back. I long for that day. So this is how Jesus introduces himself and then he gives a commendation to this church. He gives an encouragement. Let's read. Verse 19 says this, Jesus says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are doing more now than you did at first. Here are six things that Jesus sees in this church that he commends. If you're making notes, write these down. Deeds, love, faith, service, perseverance, and growth. This is what Jesus loves in this Church, let me unpack these. Number one, deeds. Jesus says, church, I love what you're doing. I love that your faith has action, that there is activity marking your church. You are actively and proactively doing good where you are. How many of you know that doing, uh, that faith without works is dead? It's fine to say good things about your belief in God, but if you have a faith, you'll be visible. 
if you say you have faith but do nothing, uh, James in the Bible would argue that you don't really have much of a faith at all. There's no such thing as secret Christians, blend in Christians, invisible Christians. Even in spaces and places where sharing the gospel is difficult or outlawed, our life should be a demonstration of inner faith. People should see our kindness and our generosity and our compassion, the practical outworkings of our faith. And I love how our church tries to embody this. We're passionate about doing good in our city for the sake of our city, for the fame and renown of Jesus. Think of all the ministries that we have. And, and if you're new to our church, I'll just list a few. We do a food bank um, serving thousands of food hampers, beautiful food hampers to holds most vulnerable people every single year, every week we do that. We have basically two soup kitchens every single week, the table on a Monday uh, and a warm space which has morphed into a phenomenal community on a Thursday with life skills lessons and courses and stuff. We, we do Grow Baby, uh, supporting families that are struggling, CMA, helping people out of debt and into financial freedom. We visit the elderly, elderly we serve our city, we do outreaches. Why? Because we know that if our faith doesn't demonstrate that Jesus is real, then it's irrelevant. Amen? Are we on board with that? Praise the Lord. So Jesus says, <coughs> I love your deeds. And church, we got to keep doing good. Secondly, Jesus says, I love your love. I love your love. We can't just do good things for God. We've got to have hearts of love and compassion, love for one another in the church and love for our city. The church in Thyatira was marked by love. John Mark Comer pastor in the state says that love is the acid test of spiritual formation. In other words, if as Christians our purpose in life is to receive the love of God and share that love with the world, a great question for us to ask ourselves in terms of how we're doing is how loving are we as Christians? Are we growing into becoming a people who are pervaded by love? Or here's another one, are we more loving today than we were a year ago? Are we becoming more peaceful and joyful and full of love or are we becoming more distracted and cynical and critical? Number three, Jesus says, I see your faith. He says, I see your trust in Christ, your unwavering belief that in spite of everything that's going on around you, you refuse to walk away. You believe in Jesus, you take him at your word, you expect the miraculous, you walk in obedience, you trust Jesus. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. God is looking for a people of faith who are following Jesus in season and out of season, regardless of the circumstances of life. Number four, Jesus says, I love your service. How many of you know that servants serve? As Christians, our call is to serve one another, serve our city, love people at a cost to ourselves, to wash the feet of our city, to live humbly, to walk purely, to follow Jesus as the model of the servant king in serving one another. Number five, perseverance. Such an underrated characteristic. Jesus says, I see your patience your willingness to wait on God, the fact that if they keep going in spite of persecution and pressures and pain and refusal to move before 
he does. As I was reading commentaries on this passage, um, Christians would have been under a lot of pressure to compromise. And because it was a working class uh, city, they would have been under threat of losing their jobs, losing their income, being ostracized from the society if their faith in Jesus was strong. And sixthly, Jesus says, I see your growth. He sees that they're doing things now more than they did at the start. In other words, there's progress, there's upward mobility. The church is growing in faith and activity, making a difference in the world. There's lots of good things to say about the church. There's lots of good things. Before we move on to some of the things Jesus issue has issues with, I want us to just hold for a moment, look at these six things. And ask the question, not just how are we doing as a church, but how am I doing? As a follower of Jesus, how am I doing in this? Am I sitting on the sidelines watching on as the church does all this stuff and and the house builds and grows and we go after the things of God? Am I contributing to these kind of things? Am I helping this house become a place of remarkable deeds and love? and faith, and service, and perseverance, and growth. So that is the commendation. Six great things about this church that I want us to think about and learn from. Next comes the criticism. These are the issues that Jesus has. Let me read the passage again, verse 20. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So here we have Jesus, the Son of God, with eyes of fire, feet of bronze, and he's caught a glimpse of something in the church which isn't honoring him. Where followers of Jesus have let something trespass into the body of Christ, which doesn't belong there. Let me just unpack this. First thing Jesus says is that they are tolerating this woman Jezebel. In other words, Jesus is saying that the church is strong in love, but lacking in doctrine. The first church, if you remember, was strong in doctrine, but lacking in love. And we have to have both. Now, Jezebel, who is Jezebel? Well, the Jezebel was a character in the Old Testament. It was the Old Testament wife of a king of Israel called Ahab. Now, King Ahab was not a good guy. You can go to the Old Testament, read about it. But he was arguably the most evil king that the Israelites had had. And he married a lady called Jezebel. And she was a bit of a nasty piece of work. And as soon as he married her, he began to serve and worship the demon god of Baal. So Jezebel, this would have been emotive language to people brought up in that culture. Jezebel is really symbolic of all things that we give our hearts to that isn't Jesus. Jezebel is a picture of false teaching that has crept into the church, which is causing followers of Jesus to worship and give their hearts to the idols of this world, eating food, sacrifice to idols, essentially idolatry, and number two, sexual Immorality. Both of these things are essentially enticing Christians to follow someone and worship someone other than Jesus. So there was this teaching that had come into the church, and this teaching was saying to Christians that you can be a Christian, but you don't actually have to live like 
Jesus. You can be a follower of Jesus. You can be a Christian, but you don't have to be set apart. You can be a Christian, but you don't have to live a holy life. It's not a problem to worship Jesus in church on a Sunday, but offer other gods worship on a Monday. It's not a problem at all to give our bodies, not as a living sacrifice to Jesus and his vision for sexual flourishing, but rather to immorality and promiscuity and unfaithfulness. Essentially, it was the values of the culture coming into the church. And yet, as we saw last week, Jesus calls the church to be different. He calls us, in fact, to be intolerant. Jesus says, I hold this against you. You have tolerated something that you shouldn't have tolerated. Now, let me just say, a lot of times, guys, tolerance is a positive thing, right? We're gracious and patient with people that are difficult. Uh, We love our enemies. We turn the other cheek. We recognize that everyone's on a spiritual journey. It's not our job to change people. But Jesus, baby Jesus, meek and mild Jesus, seems to say that there are some things which we can't tolerate. Another way to say this is that there are things that we must guard the church from. And I think if I was to say certain things, you would say, I agree that we shouldn't tolerate that. How about this? We must not tolerate abuse. We must not tolerate evil. We must not tolerate gossip. We must not tolerate corruption. There's loads of things that we would say, do you know what? Yes, I agree that we should guard the house, guard the church, be intolerant of these these things. Actually, intolerance, I would argue, is the outworkings of healthy boundaries. If you're a parent, you'll know that there's loads of stuff that we are intolerant of. And here's the takeaway. The church, remember this is the church, those that long to follow Jesus are called to be like Jesus. We're called to be set apart, holy, radical, different, refusing to compromise on our beliefs or our values to be a people who don't blend in with the world, but who stand out. We don't dim our lamps to to not cause offense. We don't shout at the darkness or shun the darkness or live the same as the darkness, but we shine in the darkness. We turn the light on. Philippians 2, Paul says this. He calls us to be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Church, we're called to shine in the world like stars in the sky. And it's impossible to shine in the world like stars in the sky when we're not giving off any light. It's impossible to shine like stars in the sky when we are just the same as everyone else. A couple of years ago, I went and visited a probation center um, uh, local to here, which was mainly attended by uh, sex offenders. And I was going in to talk about the church and share a bit about Jesus and how we could establish partnership. And as I arrived there, I was greeted by one of the guys in the probation service, come out of prison, and they go in there. And I knew the reputation. I walked up and I said, hello. And he said, who are you? And I said, I'm Josh. Uh, I'm Josh. No, he said, no, 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 who are you? And I said, what do you mean? He said, you're glowing. And I said, I, I, I'm sorry, what? He said, you're physically glowing. And I thought, that's interesting. I wasn't glowing, and it might have been other substances, or it, it might just have been the presence of God. It might just have been the fact that there's something that marks us as Christians when we refuse to 
uh, adopt the ways and the values of our world and we begin to live differently that other people can see and sense. Has anyone experienced those things? When I was a university student, uh, I made a commitment after a little bit of time um, to refuse to compromise, particularly in drinking. My first year, I was a bit reckless. I had to have some conversations with myself and my leaders to say sorry. And um, I began to live uh, a different life. And I, the amount of people that would come up to me when I was in a nightclub but not wasted and say there's something different about you. I'd have the most amazing conversations, the most amazing encounters and experiences. The first time I ever prayed for deliverance from someone, from a demon, was in a nightclub when I was sober. And, and it was a weird occasion, but this person was absolutely freaking out. And uh, their friend comes up to me and says, Josh, what do we do? You're the only sober one here. And I said, well, you're not going to like what my suggestion is. She says, I'll do anything. I said, uh, well, let's pray for him. She said, okay, fine. In the middle of a welly nightclub, we bowed our heads. And we prayed. We're called to more. We're called to live differently. Jesus says there's new ways to live. Firstly, with the food thing, I unpacked this last week. But essentially, it's, it's burning incense to idols. It's idolatry. It's, it's putting our allegiance to other things as well as Jesus. Jesus says, no, I am Lord. I don't share the throne. I don't want anything else. I am a jealous God. I'm not jealous of you. I'm jealous for you. I want your hearts. I don't share the throne. Secondly, one of the things that sets the church apart from the world is what we do with our bodies. In a world centered around self that we live in right now, where anything goes sexually. You think about who you want, you mess around with who you want, you sleep with who you want. Don't worry about commitment, don't worry about covenant, don't worry about fidelity to one partner. Live for the moment, please yourself, you do you, just go for what you want cultural narrative is that sex is just an action. It's not sacred, it's not precious, it's not emotional, it's a thing you do. Whatever you feel good, feel like on the inside is true and you should pursue that desire. We live in a culture which has placed our desires on the throne as God. And I would argue, church, that this worldview of sex is not leading to life. It's not leading to wholeness and flourishing in fact, it's causing untold damage, heartbreak, abuse, and pain. And to us, just like Jesus to the church in Thyatira, he calls us to a new way of living. As sons and daughters, it's a way of freedom and holiness and love and Holy Spirit self-control. A life which honors God first with our bodies and our thoughts and our hearts, which refuse to burn incense to the emperor or give our bodies as worship to ourselves or to others. This is the life that Jesus calls us to. And you may say, Josh, that's hard. That's really hard. I want to sleep with my girlfriend. I want to get wasted with my friends. I want to do what everyone else is doing. Let me say this firstly, I get it. <laughs> I've been there. And I have wrestled with those things. Um, let me say this. It does not satisfy. It will not scratch the itch. The thing that we're all searching for deep down can only be filled with Intimacy with Jesus, walking with Jesus, living for Jesus. Anything else is like drinking salt water. You think it's going to satisfy, you think it's going to make a difference, but it just doesn't. Secondly, if you want to reach our world for Jesus, you've got to live differently. Does anyone here like going to shopping centers? I went to St. Stephen's recently, bought Ivy some shoes. She's my three-year-old daughter. It was the greatest experience of her life and the worst of mine. Um, 
But I want you to imagine you're going through St. Stephen's in town. You'll notice that they have all these shops lining the central corridor. And in the front windows of shops, they have displays. And the store owners know that they want to make the displays as enticing and beautiful as possible. They put these mannequins in the, in the shop window. And they want to entice you in because they know that inside the store, there's so much more. There's floors and floors of all kinds of clothes. And if they can get you in the front door, then they can introduce you to a whole load more stuff that you buy. But um, imagine I'm walking down and there's a clothes center and there's a mannequin in the front window who's wearing these exact clothes. Who's wearing this top and these jeans and my Crocs. Come on. Um, I just got Crocs. I'm a Croc boy now. I love it. Um, where am I going with this? And, and the point is, there would be nothing appealing to me to call me into the shop because the mannequin in the window looks exactly like me. And I would say, well, what on earth does that shop ha possibly have to offer except the clothes that I am already wearing? Guys, we are God's mannequins. We are in God's shop window. Every day there are people in your world, at university, at work, at the school gate, who are standing looking at your life and, and they're searching, they're desperate to be called into the shop of God's kingdom to explore the beautiful riches of the gospel that it's possible to have our, our, our sins forgiven and our past wiped clean. It's possible to have our addictions broken. It's possible to have hope restored and purpose given. It's per possible to have eternal life and we can begin that experience here and now. It's possible to be healed of our illnesses and disease. It's possible for those of us that are struggling with anxiety and worry to actually be freed and brought to hope. I'm excited about the gospel and it's possible and when we live the same as everyone else, we dim our lamps, everyone looks at us and says, well, I'm not even going to listen to what you say because your life doesn't look any different to mine. Thirdly, here's what I want to say, what Jesus offers us in return for living for him, for faithfulness to him, is worth a million lifetimes of saying no. When we refuse to compromise, when we set ourselves apart, when we decide we're going to live purely and holy for the audience of one, when we're going to die to what other people think and other people's opinions, when we're going to refuse to bow to the fear of man, um, what happens is what Jesus gives us in exchange is simply stunning. Let's read the promise, verse 24. I'm coming into land now. Now I got to say, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching. In other words, those that are, are refusing to allow the things of the culture into their lives, who are refusing to bow down to other idols and are living um, in, in, according to God's vision for sexual flourishing. He says this, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. Interesting that Jesus uses that language. He says this, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. I love this church. Jesus isn't going to give us any burdens. He's just saying, if you're living for me, just hold on. If you're feeling lonely, just hold on. If you're tempted to give in, just hold on. If you're struggling mentally, just hold on. If you're full of anxiety, hold on. If you're tired and weary, hold on. If you're coming under persecution for your faith, hold on. If you're under pressure to compromise, hold on. Jesus says to us right now, hold on, keep doing what you're doing. There's going to be seasons when living for Jesus is unpopular and is painful and it's so much easier to give in. But Jesus' encouragement is church, hold on. Keep coming after me. 
when no one's watching, when you're in the room alone on your own, and when everyone is criticizing your faith, keep on keeping on. Verse 26 says this, to the one who's victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Someone underline that in the Bible. That one will rule with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For those that are faithful, Jesus offers two things. Firstly, he offers authority to rule. This is a shared authority with Christ to rule just like we were originally destined to do. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden were called to rule over creation, to partner with God. This is an invitation to kingly leadership in the new heaven and the new earth. It's God's original design for humanity, for us to rule over the cosmos in perfect peace with Jesus will come to pass fully when he returns and he'll begin that call to us in the here and now. He'll give us authority to rule. Secondly, he'll give us the gift of the morning star. Morning star is another name for Jesus in the Bible. In other words, he himself will be our reward for eternity. Those of us that hold fast to him now will be given an eternity with him. One day we will come face to face with Jesus. One day we'll get past all the pressures of this life. We'll get past all the um, the issues, all the temptations, we'll make it through. And all of a sudden that will fade away and we'll be stood face to face with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but my heart's desire is that he would look upon me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You may in, enter into the joy of your master. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And to stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.